Our reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 31, verse 3, chapter 32, verses 9 to 12, 22 to 32, chapter 33, verses 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penuel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penuel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children, Nix, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. 
the word of the Lord. Well, uh, here's my question. Distancing and uh, shelter in home were not a part of our vocabulary. Today, they dominate our reality. Uh, this pandemic has literally hijacked the world and our lives with it. Um, and it's not just the adjustments and the changes that we're having to make in our lives. It's the emotional toll of all of those things. Emotions like fear, whether it's fear for our health or the health of our loved ones, fear over the economic fallout that is happening, maybe your stock portfolios, even fear about whether or not you're going to have enough toilet paper. Um, but other emotions are present also, things like vulnerability, stress, lack of control. Um, you know, it's really hard to feel probably the most difficult thing of all. It's the isolation, the alienation, the loneliness. Those things are the most difficult of all. Because, I don't know, do you remember 9-11? It's, uh, uh, we were able to um, at least gather together in those times. It was like we were standing shoulder to shoulder at that time. But now, uh, it's like in a pandemic, all we can really do is completely isolate ourselves from other people, even possible to make sense of that. I don't claim to have all of the answers to this, but when I think about what do you do with the isolation, lack of control, and especially what's God doing in the midst of all of that, then I think about this story about Jacob, a man alone in the darkness of the middle of the night, terrified for his life. Because this story is completely dominated by fear, isolation, vulnerability, and lack of control. But even more than that, it's dominated by a God who's using all of those things in the life of one person in order to bring healing and renewal to the whole world. How? We're in a series uh, on the vision of Central West End Church. Our vision as a church is to see a city made new by the gospel, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Um, that means that we've been looking at our vision over the last several weeks, and now we're beginning to look at the part of that vision that says community renewal. Uh, what does it mean to be renewed as a community? Um, we're going to be looking at that, and especially we're asking the question today, what, what does this story about a terrified man alone in the middle of the night um, have to show us about community renewal. Well, let's learn three things about it this morning. Uh, we're going to see the call to community. We're going to see the healing of community. And lastly, the, um, the creation of new community. All right. The call, the healing, and the creation of new community. Okay. First, the call to community. Um, at this point, in Jacob's story, he's on his way back home. Now, he left because he cheated his brother Esau out of the family blessing. And I'm going to come back to that a little later. Um, but because he cheated his brother Esau, um, Esau wanted to kill him. So Jacob had to run for his life. Now, here it is 20 years later, and God tells Jacob, go back. Go back home. Okay, now here's why this is so important. All of this is part of God's mission to bring healing and renewal to the world. How, you might ask? Well, if you're new to Central West End Church, uh, one of the things that we pay a lot of attention to here is the biblical storyline. 
the main storyline of the whole Bible. In other words, it's really difficult to understand bits and pieces of the Bible without understanding how all of those things fit into the main storyline of the Bible. Um, in other words, that means that the Bible is not just a handbook of spiritual instruction for your individual life. The Bible is a story about universal history and what God is doing in that history. So what is the storyline of the Bible? Well, in the beginning, it says that God created the world uh, to be a place of goodness, beauty, and perfection. Um, in other words, especially there was a, a community with God and with each other. Uh, but then because of human rebellion and sin, uh, it's like a virus started infecting all of creation. Everything started falling apart. Have you ever wondered uh, why it is that we feel so strongly that this world is just not the way it's supposed to be? I mean, if there is no God, if this world is all there is, then by definition, this world is already exactly the way it's supposed to be. And yet we know it's not. This explains that. The story of the Bible says that God created the world to be a place of perfection, but then human rebellion and sin, there was a, a, a horrible breakdown. And if you read through the, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, and uh, races and then cities and then ethnicities and then nations, ultimately to the whole world, it's this horrible nightmare of relational breakdown. But then beginning in chapter 12, the rest of the Bible is the story of God's mission to bring healing and renewal to make all things new once again. And it begins with the story of Abraham in chapter 12. Now, Abraham was Jacob's father. And you see in this passage uh, that we just read, Jacob actually talks about that. So when he's on, on the run, he's heading back home. If you notice in, um, in the passage, he, he has this prayer and he says, O God of my father Abraham, uh, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Now, here's what he's talking about. God called Abraham to be the father of a whole new community of people that would be God's vehicle of, of renewal and healing for the whole world. That was the mission. And God called Abraham to be the father of Abraham into that. When God says to Jacob, go back, it's like he's saying to Jacob, okay, you've had 20 years now, but it's time to reboot the mission. I want you to go back. We have to pick up the mission again. Whatever else is going on in Jacob's life, this call to go back home is God's call on Jacob's life to go back to the mission, back home, to pick up again the mission to bring healing and renewal to the whole world, including community renewal. So if, if you know the story, it begins with Abraham, who fathered Isaac, who fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered 12 sons for existence. Their whole purpose and God calling them into existence was to be a part of God's mission to bring renewal to the whole world. Now, if you know history, you know that they actually failed in that, um, in that mission and were scattered abroad. You can read the story about that in First and Second Kings. But then throughout the rest of Israel's story, you see God over and over again through the prophets promising to Israel that one day he's going to gather them back up together again and he's going to reboot the mission. Now, Here's the question. When Jesus showed up on the scene and called 12 disciples to follow him, that was no coincidence, was it? 
when Jesus called 12 apostles and then he sent them out into the world, Israel was the seed, but now I'm inviting all of the world to come and participate in this mission of renewal to the world. Friends, the first point here is really pretty simple. This is not just a story about one individual named Jacob. This is a story about God's mission to bring healing and renewal to the whole world, to make all things new. And he's inviting everybody into that mission. Jacob said, yes. Jacob said, I will trust you. I will need renewal. That means that Jacob has to face the community breakdown that he had with his brother. And that leads to our second point. We've just talked about the call to community. But secondly, we need to see the healing of community. In order for Jacob to be available for renewed community, Jacob needs to experience renewal himself. In, in fact, I'm going to put it like this. Jacob needs to, to stop wrestling with God and start clinging to God. What does that mean? We ha he had to stop wrestling with God and start clinging to God. Really, we have to do the same thing too. If we want to experience renewal with God and be a part of renewed community, we have to learn the difference between wrestling with God and clinging to God. What does that mean? Well, let's look at this story of the wrestling match with God. Um, to back up, remember, Jacob fled home because he cheated his brother Esau out of the family blessing. And then he, he had to run for his life. Now, when he left home, he had absolutely nothing to state. And one of the most important things you need to know about Jacob is that the way he got all of this stuff was through his own resources. Jacob was very, very good at having control over his life. He was a man who knew how to get what he wants. Jacob was very self-sufficient, which is to say Jacob was very much like modern people, was he not? I mean, we live in a culture that encourages us to be self-sufficient. We live in a culture that says, you want something? Go get it. Make it happen for yourself. Um, that's Jacob, that's us. Because Jacob, you know what? He may believe in God, but the dominating reality of his life is what he is able to achieve on his own. And we're exactly the same way. That's the world we live in. It's kind of like Matt Damon in that movie, The Martian. I don't know if you saw it, but Matt Damon is an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars. And then he has to figure out how he's going to survive for the next four years um, until someone can finally come and rescue him. So what he does is he's keeping this video log of his experience on Mars. And at one point, he finally gets to a point where he says, in the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm going to have to science the heck out of this. The modern self is the totally self-sufficient self. That's been Jacob all of his life until now. Because now, when he's on his way home, he hears that his brother Esau is now coming to meet him, and Esau has 400 men with him. Jacob is terrified. He, he, he never has encountered something like this. He's always been self-sufficient. He's always been prepared to meet. It says that um, he takes his family and his servants and his sons, and he sends them across the river. Um, Jacob is terrified. He's up against something that he doesn't know how to handle this. I don't know. Maybe some of you feel the same way right now. You know, we live in a culture that says, you got this. Never let them see you sweat. We're going to science the heck out of this. 
We are accustomed to having control over our lives. And now we, just like Jacob, we're up against something and we are not in control of it. What do we do? Well, look at what happened to Jacob. Like I said, he sent his family across the river. So everyone, his servants, his family, his children, all of them go across the river. And then in verse 24, it says, and Jacob was left alone. Now that's significant because this is Hebrew narrative. And Hebrew narrative is famous for being very sparse. The Hebrew narrative never gives you any more details than you absolutely need. So if it's already told us that Jacob sent his family across the river, then we already know that Jacob was alone. Why is it repeating this information? Because it's emphasizing something. It's telling us that in order to experience healing and renewal and transformation with God, you have to get alone with God. You have to let him deal personally with you. And the only way that can happen is if you get alone with him. Friends, you know, I know that right now we're stressed, we're afraid, we're vulnerable. We're definitely not in control. Even under the very best circumstances, isolation is incredibly difficult. Under these circumstances, isolation is unbearable. But that is exactly where Jacob is at in this story. He's afraid. He's stressed out. He's vulnerable. He is not in control and he's alone, except he's not alone and neither are you. God met Jacob in the loneliness. He met him when he was alone, but he did so in the most remarkable way. You know, if you follow the timeline here, remember God calls Jacob back home. Jacob obeys. Next, Jacob hears that his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. So what does Jacob do? Well, he prays. <laughs> and you see the prayer in verse 11. He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Now, this is a really heartfelt prayer. But how does God answer the prayer? He hijacks Jacob. He attacks him. He comes in the middle of the night and he starts wrestling with Jacob. In fact, he dislocates Jacob's hip. I mean, what is going on here? Well, here's what's going on. You have to recall that, that Jacob's whole life has really been defined by something that happened to him and how he responded to it. His whole life has been defined by something. What was that? If you go back into his story, you find out that Jacob grew up and in all of his life, his father, Isaac, loved his brother Esau more than he loved Jacob. So all Jacob's life has been marked by this deep inner emptiness and an unfulfilled uh, longing for love. But at one point, uh, as Isaac got old and blind, Jacob disguises himself as his brother. He goes to his father and he tricks his father into giving him Esau's blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob was so starving for love and intimacy and connection and welcome into the heart of things. He was, he was starving for the blessing, but because he had never been able to find it, he steals it. In fact, what we could say really is Jacob wrestled his brother out of the blessing. Jacob, all his life, he was wrestling for the blessing. So here he is, okay? It's all these years later. He's afraid. He's alone. He's stressed out. He's out of control. This night is the biggest crisis of Jacob's life. And Jacob is thinking it's all because of what 
Everything that's happening right now, it's all because of my struggle with Esau. When God comes and starts wrestling with Jacob, it's God's way of saying, Jacob, you think that your brother is the one you've been wrestling with this whole time, but he's not. It's me. I'm the one you've been wrestling with. I'm the one that you have been wrestling with all of your life. One of the main things this story is showing us is that your biggest struggles in life are always be having with God. I mean, if you look at it, um, it's really never just about the Esau's in, in our life, is it? It, it? It's in order to get the blessing that we've always been seeking, the love, the intimacy, the connection, the welcome into the heart of things, the approval, the money, the success, the power, whatever it might be for you. You know, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, he used to write a lot about this. It's one of the main themes in all of his writings. C.S. Lewis said that we were all born desiring something. And he called it a secret thread that goes throughout our entire lives. Only we've never actually experienced the thing that we desire, only the longing for it. We've never experienced the thing we were born desiring. We've only ever experienced the longing for it. That's why C.S. Lewis called this secret our inconsolable secret. We're inconsolable over it. One of the best ways he ever described this was in his book, Mere Christianity. He wrote this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that can never be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give first, take up some subject that excites us. He says, these are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. In that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The spouse may be a really good spouse. The hotels and the scenery may have been excellent. The job may be a really interesting job, but something has evaded us. Because think about it, what is wrestling? Wrestling is you are exerting every last ounce of your physical energy in order to control and manipulate something or someone else. I mean, wrestling literally is all about control and manipulation. God is saying, you've been looking for the blessing of your life, the deepest desires of your life in all kinds of things. You've been trying to control them. You've been wrestling with them, but none of those things can really give you what you're looking for. I'm the one, I'm the blessing that you've been looking for your entire life. Dear ones, why would God allow Jacob to get to this place where he's afraid, alone, stressed out, vulnerable, and isolated? And even more than that, to help Jacob see his need of God. There was no other way to, to, to unmask the illusion of self-sufficiency. There was no other way for God to help Jacob wake up to the reality that all his life he had been wrestling. He had been trying to control things in order to find a blessing when the whole time it was really God that he had been looking for. One of the main lessons of this story, and really the whole Bible, is that sometimes God has to strip away our self-sufficiency in order to help us see our need for him. God has to strip us. Life does not create a hole in your life. It simply reveals the hole that's always been there. Do you know that God is the only thing that can fill this hole? The only way God could get Jacob to stop wrestling and to start clinging was to strip away his self-sufficiency. 
And it was only at that moment that Jacob finally was able to see that all his life, it, it never was his father or his brother or his spouse or romance or power or money or success or any of those things that he had been wrestling with. It was God that he had been wrestling with the whole time. That's what Jacob had been looking for. And now finally, this is the moment in his life when God, through disabling Jacob, stripping away his self-sufficiency, that, that Jacob finally stops wrestling and starts clinging to God. And what does God do? He says, let me go. It's almost like a test or a challenge. Do you really want me? Let me go. What does Jacob say? He says famously, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In other words, Jacob is saying, now that I finally found everything I've ever been looking for, no way am I letting you go. So what does God do? He says, tell me your name. You want the blessing? Okay, tell me your name. And Jacob says, my name? Oh, it's Jacob. You know what Jacob means, literally? For the very first time in his life, Jacob is being real with God. Because for the very first time in his life, Jacob is being real with himself. The name Jacob literally means heel grasper. When Jacob was born, he was born grasping the, the heel of his older brother, Jacob. All his life, Jacob has been a Jacob, a grasper, a wrestler, a manipulator. That's what he's been doing his whole life. Now, when he finally gets honest with God and he tells God his name, he's saying, God, I am a Jacob. I am a wrestler. I am a grasper. I have been wrestling for the blessing in everything in my life. And now I finally found that you are the one that I've been looking for. And now that I found you, I am not going to let you go. I am going to cling to you for dear life. Dear friends, that's the, the, the healing and the renewal and the transformation that God is bringing into Jacob's life through this encounter, through this wrestling match, through this disabling process. That Jacob was finally available for renewed community because Jacob had finally found renewed community with God. And likewise, the only way we can be in true renewed community with one another is if we experience renewed community with God. We have to make the transition from wrestling with God to clinging to God. Otherwise, we'll always be wrestling, controlling, manipulating, grasping in our own lives. And that leads to our last point. We've seen the call to community, that God calls all of us into this mission to bring renewal to the world. We've seen the healing of community, that we need to make this transition from wrestling with God to clinging to God. But lastly, we need to see the creation of a new community, because what does all of this look like when it happens? What would community with others look like if that kind of, of community with God, if that kind of renewal really came into your life? Well, let me highlight just a few aspects from this incredible scene of reconciliation with his brother Esau. First, community renewal with God makes us people of courage. Before this encounter with God, Jacob was afraid of his brother, but at least he still had full use of his body. But after this encounter, he doesn't even have that. And so you see at the very end of chapter 32, it tells us that the sun rose upon him as he was passing by Peniel and Jacob was limping because of his hip. Now, here's what's so amazing about this. Yes, he's disabled. Yes, he's going to be limping for the rest of his life. But Jacob is moving forward into community, into relationship with his brother, even though he doesn't know what that might hold for him. Friends, one of the most beautiful and poignant ironies about the Christian life is that the more we give our weakness to God, 
the more he gives his strength to us. The more we give our weakness to him, the more he gives his strength to us. You know, there's an interesting little side note right after that verse I just read. At the very end of the chapter, it, it says, Jacob went forth limping. And then it says, um, therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because that's where God touched Jacob. When it says the Israelites, by the way, uh, literally, that means the children of Israel. That's talking about a community. A community is formed that comes directly from Jacob's experience with God. That means that all who follow Jacob into relationship with this God become people of the limp. People of the limp. That means that, that as we move into relationship, if, as we move into community, that, that the more we give our weakness to God, the more he gives his strength to us. The more we give our weakness to him, the more we actually begin depending on God, really depending on him. Do you know what that does for you? It starts to erode the fear. It starts to transform you into someone who's able to really move into courageous community with others, even though it might be risky, physically, emotionally, um, financially, whatever it might be. Uh, people of the limp are people that are available for courageous community. Secondly, uh, people who are in renewed community with God are people of intimacy. I love the very end of this scene. When Esau sees Jacob limping towards him, it says that he ran, he embraced him, he kissed him. This is one of the most tender, beautiful, intimate scenes of reconciliation in the whole Bible. But you know that the only way intimacy can happen is through vulnerability. In order to hug someone, you have to open up your arms. In order to kiss someone, you have to present your face unguarded to them. Vulnerability always leads to intimacy. So community renewal, community with God means that we're people of courage. It means that we're people of intimacy. But lastly, community renewal with God makes us people of joy. It makes us people of joy, but it's a very unique kind of joy. If you notice at the very end, um, after they've embraced, they're hugging, they're kissing, it says they wept. They wept. That This is the kind of joy that, that is best expressed through tears. It's a kind of joy that comes not in spite of pain, hardship, or suffering, but because of it. It's kind of like when you thought everything was lost, but then through some astonishing turn of events, Somehow there's this miraculous turn of events and all of a sudden there's a healing and a restoration that takes place. And it's all the more beautiful because of the loss and the suffering that you endured in order to get to it. This is a joy that is expressed in tears or as J.R.R. Tolkien so beautifully described it, he called it joy like swords where pain and delight flow together in tears are the very wine of blessedness. This is a joy that comes not in spite of pain, hardship, or suffering, but through it. Courage, intimacy, joy. This is the kind of community that God is calling us into. And the only way that we can be a part of a community like this is not by going around the fear, the vulnerability, and the isolation, but straight through it. How are we going to do that? The only way we are going to do that is by seeing that Jesus Christ went straight through all of that for us. 
that when Jacob goes through everything here in this passage, what really it is, is just a, a mere hint or, or uh, uh, an echo of, of everything that Jesus Christ went through in order to bring you into community with God and community with other people. Because when Jacob was wrestling with God, you notice it says that they wrestled all night. Now on the surface, that sounds like an even match, right? When, when the man saw he couldn't overpower Jacob, sounds like an even match. They're wrestling all night. It's not an even match. Because it, when it says that God touched Jacob's hip, that, that word touched really means just the barest tap, like, boy. Do you know what that means? It means that God has been restraining his power the whole time. God has been purposefully limiting his strength, limiting his might, limiting his power, so that when he um, is wrestling with Jacob, the only way that God could, could wrestle with Jacob like this is if he actually restrains the full range of his weight and his power. Because if he had let the full weight of his power come down on Jacob, Jacob would have been crushed. But instead, Jacob is merely touched to wake him up to the reality of his need for God. Friends, you, this means that, that God was not just meeting Jacob in Jacob's weakness. God was meeting Jacob in his own weakness. God made himself weak, crucified. Jesus Christ went to a garden called Gethsemane. Jesus Christ, the beloved son of the father, the one and only son of the father, he went to a garden and, and, and he wrestled with God. Jesus was isolated. He was, he was abandoned by all his friends. Jesus was vulnerable at that moment. And Jesus was under stress, so much stress that, that the Gospel of Luke tells us that his sweat was literally blood coming out of his pores. On the cross, Jesus Christ became weak. So that when, when we see what Jacob was going through here, we realize that just as God had to restrain his weight from Jacob, God has been restraining his weight from us. Because on the cross, all of the weight of God came down on Jesus. All of the weight of God's justice on all the ways that we reject and betray God, on all of the ways that we are abandoning God in order to wrestle and try and control the blessing out of all the things we're looking for. But on the cross, Jesus became weak. Jesus was crushed by the full weight of God so that, so that we could receive just the barest tap to wake us up to our need for him. You know, Jacob clung to God. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jesus clung to the cross. And he said, I will not let go unless you bless them, unless you bless my dear brothers and sisters. Friends, when you see Jesus doing that for you, the more you see Jesus doing that for you, there's the blessing you're looking for. You don't have to wrestle for it anymore. You can move from wrestling with God to clinging to God. You don't have to wrestle for it anymore. Now, listen, I know that in the weeks to come, I, I hate to say it, but there's a very real possibility that the fear and the stress and the vulnerability and the lack of control are actually going to get worse, not better. How are we going to make it through that? I want to encourage you this morning, hold on to God, cling to God, say to God, I will not let you go. Now that I've finally found the blessing that I've been looking for, I will not let you go. Hold on to God in the midst of this. But even more than that, more specifically, I would encourage you, especially as we're entering in, into a time of, of increased isolation, I would encourage you, don't just endure 
solitude, practice solitude. There's a difference between those two things. Don't just endure it, practice solitude. Solitude and silence is one of the oldest spiritual disciplines in in Christianity. And the reason is because Jesus himself practiced this kind of solitude. The only way that Jesus was able to move into community richly and deeply into community with other people is because he regularly spent time in community with God, in solitude with God. Because solitude with God is not loneliness. It's not being alone. Solitude is being with God. It's community with God. And so I want to encourage you this week that that it's going to be difficult. And I, like I said, I am so grateful for the technology that enables us to be together today. But my guess is that one of the temptations for us in the weeks to come is going to be that we're going to use the technology to, to help us endure the isolation, to help us endure the solitude. I want to encourage you, find regular times throughout the day, maybe 10 minutes, three or four times a day, when you put the technology away and just spend time in solitude and community with God, just get quiet and listen for him. What is he saying to you? How, how is he calling you into renewal? How is he connecting you more deeply to him? Friends, isolation doesn't have to be isolation. We can move from isolation into community with God when we move into solitude with God. And I want to encourage you to embrace that. The more we do that, the more we become people who can truly be courageous, intimate, joyful vehicles of God's mission of community renewal to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this incredible story of renewal and not just individual renewal for one person, but community renewal for the whole world and how you do that. We pray that you would help us to embrace everything you're showing us here. Lord, it's not um, necessarily the most comforting message that stripping ourselves of all the things we depend on doesn't simply create a hole. It, it reveals a hole that's already inside us. But Father, it is only through the pain and the isolation, the hardship and the suffering that we find you waiting on the other side for us. In fact, waiting for us in the midst of that because you didn't just come and meet us in our weakness. You came and met us in your weakness through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to find solitude with you, to find rich, deep, joyful, courageous, intimate community with you and that the more we find that community with you, Lord, the, the more you would make us in the days, weeks, and um, perhaps even months to come vehicles of that same community, courage, intimacy, and joy to the world around us. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.